Well, good morning. It's good to see a church full of uh, people ready to worship and spend time together. Thank you, Matt, for welcoming here, Steve and uh, Tony, Kristen, all of you. It's been a great weekend to spend time with you. And uh, this morning, as we will turn back to Philippians chapter 4, that passage that Matt read, one of the thoughts I've had about this Christian life that we embrace, we live, we love, we want to introduce to our children is really an impossible call. I call it an extraordinary life that Jesus Christ calls us to. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to dear, beloved friends, uh, and we call this Philippians, is coming to the conclusion of his life. It won't be long and he'll be in heaven. And he knows that. This is one of his prison epistles. He's writing from prison and expressing things that he's passionate about. And he makes a number of statements in this last chapter that seem just extraordinary. How can a man say something like this? When you look at verse 4 of Philippians 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. (laughs) Rejoice. Why does he say it again? Because this challenge is really humanly impossible. Now, it's it's not impossible to rejoice or to be full of joy, but in every circumstance of life, Every time, that's impossible. And the Apostle Paul's life really is a demonstration of that impossibility. If you go back to the book of Acts and chapter 9, which is really the unfolding of the early church, you'll find the time that, for the first time, the Apostle Paul meets Jesus Christ. And he is uh, thrown off of his horse. He asks two questions, who are you, Lord? (laughs) And Jesus introduces himself, and then Paul says, what would you have me to do? Those are really, to me, the most important questions that we have is, who are you, Lord? Who is Lord of your life? Of course, he finds that Lord, Master, King, Creator, the Sovereign of his life is Jesus Christ. The second question is, what would you have me to do? And God will call the Apostle Paul into a series of impossibilities. And he becomes, to me, a grand demonstration of what what seems to be impossible. Just in this statement, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And I'd like this morning to... To just look at this last chapter, because it's the end of his life, the end of this letter. He is summing some things up that he's written about through the first three chapters in chapter 4. And he makes several statements that you think, that's impossible. How can someone do that all the time? But you're going to find that every impossible statement and every impossible example of the Apostle Paul is tied to something that he believes so passionately about the character of God. J.W. Tozer, that made this quote, and there have been many variations of it, 
that I've used through the years. But he said this, your view of God is the most important thing about you. Because how you view God will determine how you view yourself. It's going to determine how you view everyone else around you. And it will determine how you view every single circumstance in life. Most people today do not have an accurate, clear view of God. They just don't. In fact, 75% of people view God as as an angry judge. Harsh, um, up in heaven looking down his nose at us. That's the way that they see him. So how, how do we get a pure picture of God? What is God like? And the way that that is expressed to us is in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, so beautifully that we find in the scriptures that, that the view of God is expressed in the person of Christ and revealed to us through the scriptures. And the Holy Spirit will guide us through the Scriptures to reveal the face of God in Christ and help us to be able to know Him. And so, each statement that he makes, like this, I rejoice always. Now, who in here could say, That's, that was my week? <laughs> that was my week. Now, you see, you see where I'm going with this? It's impossible. He calls us to something impossible. How can... How can we do this? And it's by our view of God. And I'd like to just pick three of these in chapter 4 that I, I think they stand out to me. And, and I, you know, you can read through this real quickly and just go, what a blessing, what a blessing, what a blessing. But then when you stop to think about it, you think, that's impossible. How can any person do this? The first one I want us to look at is found in verse 11. And it says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Here's what Paul is saying. He said, I accept all things. In whatever situation I find myself in, whatever circumstance I find myself in, I'm content. I have and to be content means to be there is a deep-seated joy, there is a, a calmness, a peace. Now, if you think about that, that's not, that's not humanly possible. There's no way, because there are enough things that happen, enough junk comes your way during the course of a week that is going to disrupt your joy and your peace. Right? I mean, it doesn't take long. Monday morning comes and you're in traffic. And you're not rejoicing always. And you are not in every situation content. And yet, supernaturally, this is possible. And this is what makes the Christian life, I, I believe, so attractive, so powerful, so extraordinary. When people look at you and they say, how can they be constantly full of joy, full of peace and contentment in every circumstance that comes their way? It's a miracle. It's a supernatural work of Christ in us. And we would call this the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of authentic Christianity. You know, the evidence of authentic Christianity is not a creed. It's not your doctrinal statement. 
The evidence of authentic Christianity is the fruit of the Spirit. It's love and joy and peace and contentment. Rejoicing always in every circumstance, a supernatural work. And I wish we would see more of that in our churches today. And I think our churches would be more attractive for people to say, I want that kind of life. That steady constancy that, that no matter what circumstance that you face, there is that joy and contentment. Now, we might think, well, Paul, get a life. I mean, you, you don't live like I live. Now, I would say that probably to anybody else in the world. If you're going through a dark time in your life or a circumstance that's really, really hard, and someone else says to you, cheer up, rejoice always, you would probably say, you don't understand, you don't know my life, you don't have any idea what I'm going through. Well, the Apostle Paul is not God, and it's true, he doesn't know exactly what you're going through. God does. But sometimes we go through valleys so deep, face obstacles so challenging, they rob us, they rob us of our joy. Now, you've had that happen to you. I've had that happen to me, where I've just lost my joy. I've lost my peace. I'm anxious. I'm worked up. I'm discouraged. It's affected me. It's like a cloud pushing me down. But I will tell you this about Paul. Even though he's not all knowledgeable about all of your problems, let me just tell you about his circumstance. I think that helps. You say, typically people, they don't understand. But Paul is writing from a resort on the French Riviera. Now, you know... Those of you that have read through this know that, that that is not true. He is writing from a prison in Rome. Now, there are a couple ways that this is frustrating. If you look back to chapter 1, and he talks about this. I mean, he's not trying to, try to say, woe is me. He's just trying to explain to us a little bit <clears throat> about what has taken place. And he says, uh, I want you to know, brothers... What, this is verse 12 of chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what has happened to him? What has happened to him? Now, you could talk about the, the pain and suffering of being in prison, being in shackles, being under Roman guard. That's, that's one part of that. That circumstance is, is not a pleasant circumstance. But all of his dreams, all of his ambitions, all of his plans have come to a screeching halt. His plan was glorious. It was God-honoring. It was magnificent. He was going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. He was on his way to Spain. He was on his way to Spain. And something went wrong. <laughs> and you know, when I, when I sit back and look at this, and I, th I think, you know what? No one's life goes the way they planned. How many of you would say, you know what, when I was looking at my life, when I was really young, it's gone exactly the way I thought it was going to go. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And we can make all the plans we want. But I can tell you this from a, from a human standpoint, the Apostle Paul had every reason to be discouraged. And to have that joy sucked right out of his life. Because not only was he in a dark restricted place in prison and being persecuted and accused for things that he did not do and wanting justice 
he was not able to fulfill his dream. So your dreams come to a screeching halt. You're in a dark place, lonely place. You don't have any traction in your life. Been falsely accused. It's cold. You don't have good food. He talked in other places about how, you know, bring, bring my coat, bring my cloak, bring the books for me. Now, how is it, how is it that a guy can be in that circumstance, that situation, and be full of joy? How can he say, I rejoice always? And I am content in every situation. Now, to me, it's, it's like a bright light in a dark place. It is, it is unique. It is supernatural. It is powerful. It is where you and I ought to be living. And I believe this. It is tied to how he views his God. It is tied to how he views his God. Now, look at how he uh, develops verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I want to be careful not to spend too much time digressing into this point, but here's what's happened. He is, uh, from a human standpoint, everything's shut down. It's painful, it's miserable, it's frustrating, it would suck all the joy out of your life. But he steps back and he looks at what God's doing. He has put him in Rome. Rome is the center of the world. And he is in the palace prison. And he is surrounded by the special forces of Caesar. And they are rotating guards. These guards are becoming Christians. I mean, you're, you're chained to Paul all day. You start hearing the gospel all the time. The guards are now being reassigned. you got military guys, the sharpest. These are the elite forces, okay? The Praetorian Guard. Chained to Paul, listening to him talk, becoming Christians being reassigned to the regions of the Roman Empire, and the gospel is exploding through soldiers. Not only that, uh, we read in, in other accounts that Caesar's wife became a believer. Many of the palace uh, people, family, were becoming believers. And then all of the Christians that were watching this happen have a renewed sense of boldness with the gospel. So Paul is getting more done by being in a prison than he could if he was on his horse racing to the ends of the earth. Now, isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? And that's exactly what God does in us. If we don't get our heads up and look and view God as this. This is what he believed about God. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Meaning he has everything in control. And he is working his perfect plan. I say there are always three things God's doing. Number one, he's getting glory in what he's doing. What he's doing is glorious eternally. Number two, he is... He is Changing your life. 
to be more like Christ. Through the test, through the circumstance, you are becoming more like Jesus, which is a good thing. Less like you is a good thing. More like Jesus is a good thing. The third is that he's accomplishing his purpose, which is gospel to the ends of the earth. So how can a guy in a prison, all of his vision, all of his dreams, crushed, say, I rejoice always. I'm content in every circumstance. And you really believe he believes it. Because how he views God. God is sovereign. And it is true that in an amazing, amazing way, this gospel, this good news, this message of Christ is exploding across the earth. There's a second impossible statement. You find it in verse 13. He says, I can do all things through him. Now he's speaking of Christ. This, this verse uh, sometimes is misinterpreted by saying, I can just do whatever I want to do. Like, I'd like to fly. You know, when I was a kid, I probably less likely nowadays, but as a kid, you'd dr- probably dream you could do anything. Well, I could do this. I could do that. It doesn't mean anything you would ever dream of or wish, but I can do all things, meaning everything that God has called me to, intended for me to do, can be done. And, and really, the context is looking back to the verses leading up to verse 13. All of this, all of this, I can do. And one of the things you need to realize about the, the Christian life, just like Paul on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9, is God's will for your life. Okay, whatever that is. You may not know it all now, understand it all now. Probably you don't. As God's will unfolds for you, it will be a series of impossibilities. You will never be equal to the task. If you think, oh, I could do that, that's probably not God's will, because God's will is going to stretch you, no matter what it is. And often, when we have something ahead of us that we know we need to do, that we we feel this weakness, we feel this, um, I don't have the strength. To do this. I don't have the strength to go on. I don't have the strength to endure something. I don't have the strength to follow. I don't have the capacity, the capability to do this. Every single one of us, when we seek to follow Christ, face this. I can't do that. Well, that's a good sign that you recognize that, that without Christ, that is true. You cannot. And I think that probably starts when we're little children. All through our lives, uh, I, I can think of just about every significant shift in my life that God, and, as God has directed my life through the years. He's, he's put me out to something I, I don't feel I can do. And drives me to himself. I remember when my dad got transferred to Japan. We lived on a little military base in Kamaseya, Japan. And for a kid, when you're, you're going into the fourth grade... It's, it's pretty exciting living on a Navy base. I mean, you, they've got everything. Um, and I'd get involved in every single sport. But in the summertime, they, they had an Olympic-sized swimming pool 
with diving boards, and I mean, and I would spend all day, every day at the pool. I loved it. They had a low dive and they had a high dive. Now, the low dive was about as tall as this platform. I'd never, I'd learned to swim, but I didn't, I didn't know how to go off a diving board. But it was about as tall as this platform. And I'm in, I'm in fourth grade. The other one was about 300 feet. <laughs> At least that's what it seemed like, 300 feet in the air. And, uh, you know, you had all the kids there, and we'd go off, we'd going off the low dive, and, you know, you go off and you do, you do all your things and contest and, uh, you know, dare people to do things. It's all fun. But we didn't really go. That was for the high schoolers and the older kids, you know. But I, I'd always sit over there and look at it and consider it. And uh, one of my friends who was just a little bit older decided, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go off the high dive. That was probably 10 feet in actuality, but it is a long way up there. And so I just sat and watched him go over. He's really nervous. So he goes over and he gets in line. You know, you got this long line leading over. You've seen the, not because of insurance reasons, we don't have a lot of diving boards at pools, but <laughs> he's got this long line leading over to a ladder. You go up the ladder, and you got kids stacked going up the ladder. And they go up to the very end of the dive board, and you have the railings. Well, so he's got a laugh and a smile, and I can tell he's just really nervous about this. And he, and he gets up to the top, and he's standing waiting. So the next person goes off the high dive, and then he walks out. He's holding, and then, and then the bars quit. You know, it's like you don't have more, any more training wheels here, so you walk all, he walks all the way to the end, and then he pauses, and everyone starts screaming, jump, jump, you're holding up the line. And you can just hear it getting louder and louder and louder, and I can see his eyes looking like this, and he finally gets enough courage to turn around and go back down. <laughs> and, uh, of course, you can hear all of the, the mocking, so I, so I thought, I'm going to wait a while before I try to do that. But as a kid, you know how some things are overwhelming as a kid? You think back and you think, oh, that really wasn't that big of a deal. But as you become an adult, they be, become more serious, more, more real impossibilities and challenges that you do not feel that you have capacity for. And Paul talks about this in chapter 2. I, I think it's just a, a great statement. He's when he, when he says that uh, work out your salvation, this is in chapter 2, verse 12, he says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. In other words, you, you respond to me, but he says it's God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God works in you to give you capacity to do what he's called you to do. Yes, it's impossible. It's impossible to live the Christian life as it is intended to be lived. As you could say, your own kind of Christian life, sure, you could probably live that. But the kind of Christian life that God has called you to live is impossible. So what is it that Paul sees as far as his view of God? Is God is strong. God is not only sovereign, God is strong. Now that's a more vernacular word for God is omnipotent. He has all power. He has creative power. He has life-changing power. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. 
every single command he gives you, he will internally give you capacity to step out and to follow that. You think of the children of Israel going into the promised land. You know, just how the fear and trepidation. God parts the, parts the sea, parts the Jordan River, and does the miraculous. And God will do that for us too. But, but if we don't have that view of God, we're going to lose our joy. We, when you're faced with something that is too hard, too long, too difficult, too painful, too impossible, it sucks your joy away. You lose joy and contentment and peace. You know, I love the verse that Matt read earlier, too, in chapter 4. And there's so many great verses. But at, but at the very last part of verse 9, it says, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Here is what's extraordinary about Christian life. That no matter what the circumstance, or no, no matter what my weakness, okay, I could have impossible circumstances, I have, I have weakness, that because of my view of God, that He is sovereign and He is strong, He is all-powerful, I just, I have joy. I have joy. And it's not just like giddy happiness, laughing all the time. It is a, is a deep-seated peace and internal comfort. It is, it is something that, to me, is so settling for all those around you. And it is unique. It is, it is uniquely Christian. And this is what Paul, as he writes, I, I think Philippians is one of the greatest lessons of encouragement to people. And Paul has been experiencing all of these things. He's not just giving you a lesson he doesn't understand. There's one more that I'd like for us to look at, and that is in verses 18 and 19. So, I accept all things. That's our first point. I, I can do all things. I accept all things because I believe in His sovereignty. I can do all things because I, leave, I believe in His strength. And then I have all things. I have everything that I need. If you look at verse 18, he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. In other words, I have everything that I need. In verse 19 it says, And my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> now, if you walk into the toy store with your grandkids, how many grandkids would say, You know what, Grandpa, I have everything that I need. <laughs> now, my wife says that about me at Christmas. What does Dad need for Christmas? Dad has everything he needs. <laughs> What does mom want? Well, she wants a gift card to Cabela's. So <laughs> we had a little bit of fun in our household. <clears throat> but you think about this. If you had a chance, if, if you ever, have you ever dreamed about winning the lottery? Anybody here? Or am I the only one? You've never dreamed about it? I mean, I know that doesn't really sound real spiritual. You're probably very unimpressed with me right now. But I do have, I do have an imagination. I have an imagination. Uh, it used to be a million dollars. Now it's up to about a billion. And, <clears throat> but let me just tell you about my... It's really kind of a spiritual thing. It's not carnal. Because 
I didn't buy the ticket, no, I don't gamble. I found it on the sidewalk. In my dream, I found it as I was walking along. Oh, there is a lottery ticket that I went a billion dollars. And my first thing is to go see Steve, pastor. I want to give a half a billion to missions. And so I, 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 this is part of my dream, you know. And then, like, pay off my house, update our cars, maybe have a place in the mountains. Um, but anyway, a little bit of money wouldn't hurt making life better. Uh, you may not think the way I think, but I always think if I just had something. In fact, if I were to write up on a chalkboard up here, this morning and say, if I had blank, I would be content, joyful. And I give you 60 seconds. And everything you can write down in that blank, you can have. Now, you start writing, 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 writing. And when time's up, Would you be content? And you have it all, okay? Time's up and you have it all. Are you content? Why aren't you content? Because you thought, oh, I forgot something. (laughs) I forgot to put something up on that. Well, because things, things don't make you content. Now, Paul was in prison and all the things were taken away. I mean, he's asking just a coat for a coat to keep warm. He doesn't have things. He doesn't have, he doesn't have good food. He doesn't have the clothes that he needs. He doesn't have his books. And, and yet, he says, I have everything that I need. I, I'm full. I'm completely satisfied. Now, what gives? How can anybody say that? Because I think deep down, most of us function with wishing we just had a little more. A little something else. I just need a little more money, a little more savings, a little better car, a little better house, a little better this, a little better things. In chapter 3 of Philippians, in fact, if you go through chapter 3 and underline the word things, you'll find it all through chapter (laughs) 3. Stuff. Things. And you know, when, when, when stuff is taken away from us or we don't have the things that we think we need, it robs us of our joy. Because even though we are eternal creatures and eternity will be with God in heaven and we'll be joint heirs with Christ and we will share in all of the treasures and riches of heaven, we still are very temporally tied to stuff on this earth, aren't we? We're just tied to it. So when something's taken away or we don't have something, we can tend to be, it takes our joy away. We don't have our joy. But he says in verse 8 of chapter 3, Indeed, I count everything... A loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So what is it that Paul sees in God? What's his view of God that helps him without things in in a spot in prison to be completely satisfied, completely content, completely full of joy, completely at peace? What is his view of God? God is sufficient. If that's all you have is Christ, you have enough. 
So in this blank up here, if I have Christ, it's enough. It's enough. Now, I know you have to work every day to discipline yourself to think this way. Because we are living in this world. And every day, circumstances, new circumstances come. And you have to remind yourself, I can rejoice in every situation because I believe God's sovereign. I have to do this every day. It's kind of like a a morning recalibration. (laughs) Because I wake up to difficult circumstances. I wake up to have impossible situations to try to work through. I, I... I wake up wanting to complain that I don't have blank. Whatever it might be. And I have to remind myself, God is sovereign, God is strong, God is sufficient. You may have heard this name before, John Payton. I'm sure you probably heard about it from your pastor because he's a missions guy. But John Payton was a missionary middle of the 19th century, to the island of the New Hebrides, which is now called Vanuatu. He was in Glasgow, Scotland, as a pastor at a very thriving church, and, and, uh, and, and yet they were praying for this little group of islands on the east side of Australia that was uh, filled with cannibals. About 30 years before, two guys had ventured out to try and reach them. Their boat landed on the shore. They stepped off. They were killed with clubs, boiled and eaten. That was the last attempt. (laughs) And so, John Payton, pastor of the church in Glasgow, is leading prayer meetings about, we need someone to go, someone to go, someone to go. And he finally realizes, God wants me to go. And uh, one of the guys in in the church, one of the older, stately men in the church said, Pastor, you're throwing your life away. Well, let's send someone else. You know, God is blessing you here in this place. Um, you're going you're to go over there and you're going to be eaten by cannibals. And uh, so Peyton said, you know what? Um, maybe you're right, but God's called me. And he said, um, I may go there and be eaten by cannibals. You'll stay here, die, and be eaten by worms. What difference does it make? <clears throat> That's a pretty bold statement. Well, John Peyton goes, takes his wife with him. They land um, in Vanuatu, the New Hebrides, Vanuatu, and uh, it is incredibly difficult. I mean, every day he's looking over his shoulder because they want to kill him and eat him. And he builds a home. He's translating the Bible. He builds a little church. He sees a couple people come to Christ. He's traveling through the villages. He goes through incredible hardship. But... But it is draining it is, it is, because there's so much uh, oppression, demonic oppression. Some of you have been overseas to places where there is, there is no gospel witness there. And you, you, you just feel the crushing weight. And it kind of all came to a head in his life where his, his son died. And his wife died. And... The cannibals came and burned his church, and they came again and burned his home. I mean, he, he had lost everything. His son, his wife, his church, all of his translation work, his home, everything. And he's sitting, he sat on the graves 
of his loved ones after they had died because he was afraid they were going to dig up their bodies to eat them. And then he sat there in a state of depression for about 30 days. And then they said, we're coming to kill you. We're going to come and we're going to kill you. And so he fled. He fled all the way to the other side of the island. The island, the particular island was called Tana. All the way to the other side of the island. And he he crawled up into a tree just to be safe. And he sat there in that tree. He lost everything. And he said, it finally dawned on me that all I had left was Christ. Literally. Literally. And I found that to be enough. He is sufficient. He is sufficient. Most of us will never experience what John Payton experienced. Most of us will never experience what the Apostle Paul experienced. But we do face circumstances that would rob us of our joy. We do face challenges and and face up to our weakness that would rob us of our joy and our peace and our contentment. And we do feel the loss of things, the lack of things, that would suck the joy and the peace out of our lives. But folks, God has called us in Christ to something higher, something better, something more extraordinary. Jesus has called you to an extraordinary life. And if you've lost your joy, if you've lost your contentment, if you've lost your peace, I think we all understand. We all get that. There's not something wrong with you, but but there is something about God that can pick you up out of that and not just help you to endure it or get through it, but to ride above it with joy and peace and contentment. So I ask you this morning, in your present circumstance, in your present weakness, in your present loss, how do you view your God? How do you view your God? Do you see Him as sovereign, as strong, as all-sufficient, Because if you do, if you do, you're going to have the same miraculous, extraordinary, magnificent joy, peace, and contentment that Paul had. And that's God's intent and His plan for you. Let's bow together as we pray.